Welcome to the Corona of Thorns podcast. I'm Father Peter Swans, and today is the 21st Sunday in Ordinary Time. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And with your spirit. To prepare ourselves, let us acknowledge our sins. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and in what I have failed to do, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore I ask, Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Glory to God in the highest, and And on on earth peace peace to people of goodwill. We We praise praise you, we bless you, we adore you, we glorify you, we give you thanks for your great glory, Lord God, Heavenly King, O God, Almighty Father, Lord Jesus Christ, Only Begotten Son, Lord God, Lamb of God, Son of the Father, you take away the sins of the world, have mercy on us, you take away the sins of the world, receive our prayer, you are seated at the right hand of the Father, Have mercy on us, for you alone are the Holy One, you alone are the Lord, you alone are the Most High, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit, in the glory of God the Father. Amen. Let us pray. O God, who caused the minds of the faithful to unite in a single purpose, grant your people to love what you command, and to desire what you promise that amid the uncertainties of this world, our hearts may be fixed on that place where true gladness is found. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the prophet Isaiah. Thus says the Lord of hosts to Shebna, the master of the palace, I dismiss you from your office. I remove you from your post. And the same day, I call on my servant, Eliakim, son of Hilkiah. I invest him with your robe, gird him with your sash, entrust him with your authority, and shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. I place the key of the house of David on his shoulder. Should he open, no one shall close. Should he close, no one shall open. I drive him like a peg into a firm place. He will become a throne of glory for his father's house. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, your love is eternal. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Lord, your love is eternal. Do not forsake the work of your hands. I thank you, Lord, with all my heart. You have heard the words of my mouth. In the presence of the angels... I will bless you. I will adore before your holy temple. Lord, your love is eternal. Do not forsake the work of your hands.
I thank you for your faithfulness and love, which excel all we ever knew of you. On the day I called, you answered. You increased the strength of my soul. Lord, your love is eternal. Do not forsake the work of your hands. The Lord is high, yet he looks in the lowly, and the haughty he knows from afar. Your love, O Lord, is eternal. Discard not the work of your hands. Lord, your love is eternal. Do not forsake the work of your hands. A reading from the letter of St. Paul to the Romans. How rich are the depths of God! How deep his wisdom and knowledge! And how impossible to penetrate his motives or understand his methods! Who could ever know the mind of the Lord? Who could ever be his counsellor? Who could ever give him anything or lend him anything? All that exists comes from him. All is by him and for him. To him be glory forever. Amen. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Alleluia, alleluia. You are Peter, the rock on which I will build my church. The gates of hell will not hold out against it. Alleluia. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he put this question to his disciples. Who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say he is John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But you, he said, who do you say I am? Then Simon Peter spoke up. You are the Christ, he said, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Simon, son of Jonah, you are a happy man. Because it was not flesh and blood that revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. So I now say to you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of the underworld can never hold out against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be considered bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be considered loosed in heaven. Then he gave the disciples strict orders not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. I suppose we all know this gospel um, pretty well. We've we've probably heard it uh, a bunch of times. Um, In fact, we we heard it a little while ago for the Feast of Saints Peter and Paul. Um, But I started doing a little reading around this famous moment. Um, that, that first time when the Apostle Peter declares that Jesus is both the Messiah and the Son of God. Um, and I was found a couple of little interesting facts about um, the location, the setting of this, this event. Um, so bear with me for, for a couple of minutes because I want to tell you a couple of things about Caesarea Philippi, um, where it all takes place. Um, and hopefully this gives a, a, a little insight into what this um, passage might mean for us. So Caesarea Philippi is actually is approximately 30 kilometers north of the Sea of Galilee in a, in a region that was ruled by one of Herod the Great's sons, 
um, Philip the Tetrarch. Philip, who's reigning over this this region that has Caesarea Philippi in it, he he rebuilds a town called Peneus, and he named it after Caesar Augustus, Caesarea, um, and also himself, Philippi, because, you know, he's Philip the Tetrarch. Because of the conquests of Alexander the Great, though, um, this region was really strongly influenced by Greek culture. And in the town of Caesarea Philippi, there was a thriving temple dedicated to the Greek god Pan. Um, and if you've you know done any sort of classical studies, you may remember that Pan is depicted as having you know the, the torso of a man uh, and the hind legs of a goat, and he plays a wooden flute that today we still call the Pan Pipes, right? Anyway, Pan is the god of the wilderness and of desolate places. And so it made sense that there would be a temple to Pan in Caesarea Philippi because it was at the base of Mount Hermon. And still today, like it's a really rocky region, like big cliff faces and, and very ragged. So, you know, I don't know, maybe the kind of place that's well suited to a mountain goat-like god. And so this pagan temple dedicated to Pan was the reason why the town had been called Paneus uh, before it was renamed Caesarea Philippi by, you know, Philip. So the Greek god Pan forms an interesting backdrop then for Peter's confession of faith, because according to the Greek epic poems, um, Pan is either the son of Zeus or he's the son of Zeus's son Hermes, in which case Pan is the son of God. And it's in the shadow of this cult to the Greek god Pan that Jesus decides to ask the disciples who they think he is. And when Simon Peter speaks up, he's at once declaring the true divinity of Jesus, but also the emptiness of the pagan gods. You are the Christ. Jesus of Nazareth, you're the one invested with power and authority. You are the son of the living God. It's not Pan who possesses divine sonship. It's only Jesus, the son of the father. And so the setting for this great confession of Simon Peter's faith in Caesarea Philippi only sort of like strengthens the full implication of the truth about the identity of Jesus. In this kind of stronghold of, of Pan, in this sort of rocky and desolate place, which really should be the playground of this Greek god, Jesus of Nazareth is declared to be the true son of God. And Pan is shown to be false. Now, that's all fine. We can imagine Jesus taking his disciples to Caesarea Philippi um, precisely so that they would come to know that he is the true God in the face of all the pagan cults. But there's another part of the story that's a little bit strange. The Greek historian Plutarch um, records that during the time of the Emperor Tiberius, you know, the, the, the emperor who reigned during the life of Christ, that, now get this, this is interesting. He reports a piece of ancient news that a sailor at sea called Thamus heard a great voice saying, take care to proclaim that the great god Pan is dead. It's kind of odd that right at the time of Christ, 
This supposedly immortal pagan god is declared dead by a voice heard at sea. Now, this strange curiosity wasn't lost on G.K. Chesterton. Um, he, he wrote in his book, um, The Everlasting Man, he, he said this, It is said truly in a sense that Pan died because Christ was born. When Simon Peter declares Jesus to be the true living Son of God, he's at the same time declaring the death of all idols. You are the Christ, says Peter, and the upshot's clear. You're the Christ, no one else is. You're the Son of God, no one else is. And so in the heart of this stronghold of the cult of Pan, Pan is indeed shown to be dead. So Peter's confession in Caesarea Philippi certainly packs a punch. And consider for a minute what he's saying. You are the son of God. Not, you know, you're not like a son of God. No, you are the son of God. You, you share in God's divine nature. God is his father and he is God because he is the son of the father. And just like I'm human because I'm the son of my father and my father is human. Well, in the same way, the son must be God because his father is God. Just take a moment to let that wash over you. God himself, your creator, my creator, is walking among his people. He's not in a distant heaven. He's not a theoretical proposition that's there to explain the existence of the universe. He's in the human family. He's visible, audible, touchable. He's not a prophet among other prophets. He's not John the Baptist or Elijah or Jeremiah. It would be wrong to say that he's the greatest among them. Jesus of Nazareth, he's just in an entirely different category because he's God. God has come among his people. And for those who recognize him, life can't go on like before. Because we now have a new focal point. Our lives, they are now going to be about Jesus. Now, here's the important point, right? Just as Peter's profession of faith is at the same time a declaration of the death of Pan... So too, our profession of faith in Jesus as the son of the living God must also spell the death of our idols. We're less inclined toward the idols of paganism. But we must ask ourselves honestly if there's anything that occupies the central place that God should have in my life. My words may proclaim Christ as the Lord, but practically, is my money my highest pursuit? Or, or my power, or my reputation, or my pleasure. Perhaps I worship God only when I feel like it, such that, you know, really, my comfort is my highest goal. Our faith in Jesus as the true son of the living God carries with it an implicit declaration that the pans of my life, the idols that claim to be gods, are in fact dead. Now, nothing wrong with wealth and power and pleasure and honour. Nothing wrong with them in themselves. But if they become the central thing in my life, 
if they become the prime motivation for me doing things, then it really has become an idol. It occupies that place that should belong to God alone. Remember, like remember the first commandment, I'm the Lord your God and you shall have no other gods before me. Nothing in front of me, nothing in that central part of our hearts. If we declare that Jesus truly is the Son of God, then Pan needs to be dead. Now, don't get me wrong, it doesn't mean that we all abandon the world and become monks and nuns. Um, the fact is, I'm going to have other preoccupations, of course, but every one of my pursuits must be for the sake of the highest good, which is God. All right, so how can I spot the idols in my life? Well, let me suggest a little rule of thumb. Now, apart from coronavirus, what are the things that cause you to miss Mass on Sundays? That might be your idol. If we find the things that cause us to skip our daily time of prayer, there's our pan. Now, let me be clear, you know, not talking about sickness and frailty and the things that prevent us from going to Mass and from praying, despite our best efforts. Um, but footy, soccer, kids' sports, that keeping me from Sunday Mass? If it is, maybe I found my idol. Nothing wrong with sports, mind you, but if it's occupying God's place, then it's a false god. Is TV, internet, keeping me from praying each day? Because, you know, by the time we get to bed, we're too tired to spend some time with the Lord. Then maybe our own comfort and amusement may be the idol. But Father, you say, like, I've got good reason for not coming to Mass or the things that I'm busy with, they're for my kids or my parents or my spouse, and, and you'll get no argument from me. Yeah, there are good things. But if they take the place of God, then it's not where it belongs. Simon Peter's act of faith, like, reorders his life. Jesus is the Christ. He's the Son of the living God. He's no longer one voice among others. He's no longer a hobby that occupies our attention just as long as we're interested. He's the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega of my life. He's the center. And sure, Simon Peter will struggle from time to time, and famously he'll even deny Jesus three times, creating a false idol of his own reputation and safety. But he will always turn away from his idols. And return to the central belief, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And now let's together profess our faith by praying the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the, the Father, Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. At the Saviour's command, and formed by divine teaching, we dare to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil. Graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress, as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Saviour, Jesus Christ. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours, now and forever. Let us welcome Christ into our hearts with an act of spiritual communion. My Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you were already there and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace. Thanks be to God. And we finish by praying Pope Francis's prayer to Mary during the coronavirus pandemic. O Mary, you shine continuously on our journey as a sign of salvation and hope. We entrust ourselves to you, health of the sick. At the foot of the cross, you participated in Jesus' pain with steadfast faith. You, salvation of the Roman people, know what we need. We are certain that you will provide, so that as you did in Cana of Galilee, joy and feasting might return after this moment of trial. Help us, Mother of Divine Love, to conform ourselves to the Father's will and to do what Jesus tells us. He who took our sufferings upon himself and bore our sorrows to bring us through the cross to the joy of the resurrection. Amen. We seek refuge under your protection, O Holy Mother of God. Do not despise our pleas we who are put to the test, and deliver us from every danger, O glorious and blessed Virgin. Amen. Thanks for praying with us, and may God bless you abundantly, so that this day may give glory to God the Father.